free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Grace Galloway and pass the ammunition. Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Welcome, Christian Israelites, covenant people, white nationalists, everybody who's concerned about the assault against the white racists called COVID-19 and the global lockdown, the Great Reset, etc. A lot of different names for it, but it's all the same Jewish garbage, the assault on the white race by the international Jew. They've just hit upon uh, this strategy of using fake medicine to kill us and make us sick. And I've got several stories, so it's going to be kind of a, a hodgepodge of different stories tonight. I will conclude with a, a story about uh, Herschel. I'm, I'm sorry, Herzl, Theodore Herzl, the founder of modern Zionism, and uh, how Zionism actually is behind all of the nonsense that we're going through right now. So, but uh, but Captain Witt has just posted a very interesting story that uh, I, I just have to report on. And uh, it's the headline is this: Houston doctor trying to figure out why some COVID patients develop massively enlarged tongues. Okay, first of all, let me say this is not caused by any sort of virus. This is caused by the injection that people are getting. The adverse reactions to vaccines, especially this. DNA altering, uh, it, it's DNA, they call it therapy, DNA therapy. No, it's DNA mutation. They are deliberately causing our DNA to mutate with the injection of these proteins and RNA and what have you. Some of this is living uh, bacteriological material. Other is manufactured in a lab. Either way, it's manufactured in a lab. It's not a natural disease. It's a fake disease created by the international Jew. Okay? So the story goes, doctors believe there might be something about the virus that is making certain people more prone to the rare condition, that is, swollen tongues. Uh, whether or not this per it doesn't say whether this person got the, got the shot. I'm, I'm absolutely positive this person got the shot, whether they're mentioning it or not. Because... This is not anything that anybody has ever experienced with a normal flu, if there is such a thing as a normal flu, cold or grip. People, do, people have difficulty swallowing. That's kind of a, a common function of the flu. But a swollen tongue, a tongue that's like two to three times larger than normal? Wow. And so... But it says here, doctors in Houston are trying to figure out why a handful of people hospitalized with COVID-19 
develop massively enlarged tongues. So these people are have been hospitalized. I'll bet something happened in the hospital that caused this reaction. They probably got the jab without asking for it. The condition is called macroglossia. It makes it impossible for patients to eat and talk, I can imagine. Dr. James Melville with the UT Health School of Dentistry has become a specialist in dealing with the condition. He has performed surgeries to help patients regain use of their tongue. So, again, more warnings from us here at Eurofolk Radio not to get the jab, not to go to a hospital, not to go to a doctor for this uh, illusory illness called COVID. So they show a photograph here. It's a video. I'm not going to play the video, but uh, this is a black man whose tongue is at least three times larger than normal. He's sticking his tongue out, and my God, what a a horrible condition. When KHOU11 first reported on a condition last fall, Dr. Melville said there were only two documented cases in the United States. So this is extremely rare. Right, but only for hospitalized COVID patients. Since then, he has heard about seven more patients. Out of the nine cases, all had been intubated in a hospital. Intubated, that means they stick tubes in you. Who knows what kind of chemicals there are in those tubes. Eight out of the nine are black. Two had suffered strokes, and the other seven were hospitalized with COVID-19 prior to developing macroglossia. Well, that's what you get for going to a hospital. And that's what you get for believing in the COVID-19 nonsense. Melville says the patients who had survived COVID-19 had inflammatory cells in their tongue tissue, which means there's something about the virus. No, not the virus, the treatment that is making certain people more prone to the rare condition. The reason it's no longer rare is because they're getting the treatment. Quote, I think it has a lot to do with where the virus is attaching itself and the body's immune response to it, said Dr. Melville. No, you're wrong. It has a lot to do with the doctor you're seeing. He is now doing a study to figure out if there's a common link to those patients' genes. If doctors can answer that question, they hope they can figure out how to prevent it. Well, maybe if it's black people, maybe they ate too much watermelon before going to the hospital. But the underlying cause is going to the hospital, folks. Editors note the original version of this post featured a photo of a woman who developed this condition after a stroke. Her condition was not related to COVID-19. I'll bet. The photo has been changed to a man who developed the condition after being hospitalized with COVID-19. We regret any confusion the original post may have cause. Well, why can't they just do straightforward news? Why do they have to doctor everything? (laughs) Why do they have to doctor the news? That's because we're living in a doctor's hell. We're living in a doctor's hell. Yes, and uh, Adolf Richter posts, there's a guy who gets messages from his Bluetooth phone, TV, car devices, and also any television set any modern television set he walks by, which flashes his 
his personal information about his AstraZeneca shot on a television screen, any television screen that he happens to walk past if that television screen is on. It also displays it on his cell phone constantly because as we have been warning you here at Your Folk Radio, folks, Michael reminded me on a show that he and I did on this subject that I had said that People who get these jabs, the Bill Gates jab, will be walking debit cards. And that video proves this man cannot go near an app, a cell phone, a television. Uh, He he is radiating his personal information regarding his AstraZeneca shot all over the place. All over the place as we have been predicting here at your folk radio. So, I mean, my heart goes out to those people who have been flummoxed into taking the jab. It's just the dumbest thing you could possibly do. But, of course, the the 11th commandment is trust your doctor because <laughs> your doctor is always right. Yes, isn't that the 11th commandment? Everybody ignores the first 10, but they obey that commandment. This is getting bizarre, folks. Absolutely bizarre. But we predicted this also because I did a video entitled 666, Coronavirus and the Mark of the Beast, showing proof positive that Bill Gates took out a patent on the mRNA vaccine in which it states that patent I think that's the one that's 60606, right? And that's the patent in which Bill Gates says, we will change your DNA and make your DNA susceptible to microwave radiation and other forms of you know, radiation. It says it right there in the patent. So are we surprised? No, we're not surprised. But man, everybody who's getting quote-unquote, COVID, is getting the most bizarre symptoms we've ever heard of, okay? That is what's going on. The the breaking news story as we speak. All right, so now we've got, I want to switch gears. Now, I've covered the Nuremberg rules. This is still talking about COVID. And I've done done two or three shows about the Nuremberg Code and how we can use the Nuremberg Codes in our own defense against anybody who tries to force an injection upon us. And there's no point in me going uh, through this again. But this post includes a video by a German lawyer who speaks perfect English in which he talks about the lawsuits he's filing on behalf of COVID victims, claiming that this is a massive fraud. And, of course, we know that it is. It's a totally massive fraud. And uh, But uh, first, l- let me just read the first Nuremberg Code, because this is essential information. If, if you haven't heard this before, Just go online and and search for the Nuremberg Codes. And I'm just going to read the first one here. The voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. 
This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion, and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him or her to make an understanding and enlightened decision. Now, this is not happening under the current COVID operations. First of all, they're not revealing to people that it's not even a, a, a legitimate vaccine. It has not passed any safety tests. It's given emergency youth uh, use, euthanasia, <laughs> emergency euthanasia authorization, emergency use authorization. That's, that's all it's been given. With no safety studies whatsoever. In fact, the studies uh, conducted on animals and humans were all tragic. Every single subject getting sick or dying. But the average person, the average quote-unquote normal person out there, uh, folks, these are the days where you don't want to be normal because normal people, I'm, I'm sorry to say, are just ignorant absolutely ignorant as mark twain said it's a waste of time trying to convince stupid people <laughs> trying to tell the truth to stupid people but they're not really stupid many of these people are really well educated they're just been been brainwashed thoroughly totally brainwashed because they don't believe the Bible when it says there will be false prophets running around from place to place in churches and hospitals, etc. And the mystery Babylon will rule the world in these end times. They don't pay attention to the Bible. So this is what you get if you don't pay attention to the Bible. And you have all kinds of frauds in Judeo-Christianity. So I'm going to scroll down to the video that this German lawyer does as part of this post, and let me get his name. Uh, okay, where is his name? Okay, I guess I'll have to play the video to get his name. Uh, it's not an easy one to pronounce, so I'm just going to go ahead and play the video, and here is what he has to say about an eight minute. Oh, so it's a eleven minute video, well worth listening to. Here we go. Hello, I am Reiner Fulmich, and I have been admitted to the bar in okay. Germany and in California. Let me pause this. Years. Reiner Fulmich. Reiner is his first name. Fulmich, which uh, apparently means full milk. In, of Engl in English, here we go. I have been practicing law primarily as a trial lawyer against fraudulent corporations such as Deutsche Bank formerly one of the world's largest and most respected banks, today one of the most toxic criminal organizations in the world. VW, one of the world's largest and most respected car manufacturers, today notorious for its giant diesel fraud. And Kühne & Nagel, the world's largest shipping company, we're suing them in a multi-million dollar bribery case. 
All the above mentioned cases of corruption and fraud committed by the German corporations pale in comparison in view of the extent of the damage that the Corona crisis has caused and continues to cause. This Corona crisis, according to all we know today, must be renamed a Corona scandal, and those responsible for it must be criminally prosecuted and sued for civil damages. On a political level, everything must be done to make sure that no one will ever again be in a position of such power as to be able to defraud humanity or to attempt to manipulate us with their corrupt agendas. And for this reason, I will now explain to you how and where an international network of lawyers will argue this biggest tort case ever, the Corona fraud scandal, which has meanwhile unfolded into probably the greatest crime against humanity ever committed. Crimes against humanity were first defined in connection with the Nuremberg trials, after World War II that is, when they dealt with the main war criminals of the Third Reich. Crimes against humanity are today regulated in Section 7 of the International Criminal Code. Let me pause it right here because I have done research on the so-called you know, uh, human experimentation the Nazis supposedly did during World War II. Now, with regard to some, uh, certainly the, there was no Jewish soap, right? That, that was a total fraud. And I really had a difficult time finding any articles detailing the nature of the experiments that the, the Nazis supposedly did on human subjects. Now, we do know that they did you know, certain experiments on people who were about to die, but uh, they didn't kill people with their experimentation. I could not find any evidence of that whatsoever. That's just another Jewish lie that's been promoted about World War II. So, when, if and when I do find any evidence of that, I'll let you know. But even the, the uh, so-called experts were unable to give any details about the type of experiments. Now, there obviously were some uh, uh, experiments done by uh, Nazi doctors, but... Uh, nothing out of the ordinary compared to doctors all over the world. Certainly nothing like COVID. They weren't exterminating people randomly with vaccinations. Okay. To my knowledge, they were only doing experiments on people who were already dying and therefore, you know, they're using them as test subjects for medical medical science. I mean, doctors kill people all the time for medical science, don't they? The Nazis aren't, weren't the only ones doing that kind of thing. Let's listen some more. The three major questions to be answered in the context of a judicial approach to the corona scandal are, one, is there a corona pandemic or is there only a PCR test pandemic? Specifically, does a positive PCR test result mean that the person tested is infected with COVID-19, or does it mean absolutely nothing? <laughs> yes, it means absolutely nothing, as Carrie Mullis, the inventor of the PCR test, said. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
that this lawyer believes in the whole hoax stuff. Yeah, unfortunately. But he doesn't believe in COVID. That's a good thing. Okay, let's continue. Connection with the COVID-19 infection. Two, do the so-called anti-corona measures, such as the lockdown, mandatory face masks, social distancing, um, and quarantine regulations serve to protect the world's population from corona? Or do these measures serve only to make people panic so that they believe without asking any questions that their lives are in danger so that in the end the pharmaceutical and tech industries can generate huge profits from the sale of PCR tests, antigen and antibody tests and vaccines as well as the harvesting of our genetic fingerprints. Mm. And three, is it true that the German government was massively lobbied more so than any other country, by the chief protagonists of this so-called pro-corona pandemic, Mr. Drosden, virologist at Charité Hospital in Berlin, Mr. Wheeler, veterinarian and head of the German equivalent of the CDC, the RKI, and Mr. Tedros, head of the World Health Organization, or ah, who, the because of Germany is known as a particularly disciplined country and was therefore to become a role model for the rest of the world for its strict and, of course, successful adherence to the corona measures. Answers to these three questions mention are Bill Gates. needed because the allegedly new and highly dangerous coronavirus has not caused any excess mortality anywhere in the world and certainly not here in Germany. But the anti-corona measures, whose only basis are the PCR test results, which are in turn all based on the German Drosten test, have, in the meantime, caused the loss of innumerable human lives and have destroyed the economic existence of countless companies and individuals world. That's absolutely correct. He's telling the absolute truth here, and uh, that it's all fake, and it, the, uh, the, the cure is worse than the disease, a thousand times worse than the disease. Wide. Not, not only are PCR tests expressly not approved for diagnostic purposes, as is correctly noted on leaflets coming with these tests, and... All right, it's amazing. They actually have this information on the leaflets saying that the PCR tests can't be used for diagnosis. Yet that's what they use for diagnosis. Is this crazy? Is this stupid? Wow. Oh, yeah, and uh, Seven uh, brings up the fact at Nuremberg, the Jews tortured the defendants to the point where they would confess to anything. Yes, thank you. And the Nazis did not torture people. Back to the German lawyer here. And as the inventor of the PCR test, Kerry Mullis, has repeatedly emphasized, instead, they're simply incapable of diagnosing any disease. That is, contrary to the assertions of Drosten, Wheeler, and the WHO, which they have been making since the proclamation of the pandemic, a positive PCR test result does not mean that an infection is present. If someone tests positive, it does not mean that they're infected with anything, let alone with the contagious SARS-CoV-2 virus. 
Meanwhile, a number of highly respected scientists worldwide assume that there has never been a corona pandemic, but only a PCR test pandemic. Yes. This is the conclusion reached by many German scientists, such as Professors Bakti, Reis, Mölling, Hockertz, Wallach, and many others, including the above-mentioned Professor John Ioannidis and the Nobel laureate Professor Michael Levitt from Stanford University. What about fraud, intentional infliction of damage and crimes against humanity? Based on the rules of criminal law, asserting false facts concerning the PCR tests or intentional misrepresentation as it was committed by Messrs. Drosden and Wheeler as well as the WHO can only be assessed as fraud. Based on the rules of Holocaust. civil tort law, it's this a translates into intentional infliction of damage. The German professor of civil law, Martin Schwab, supports this finding in public interviews. In a comprehensive legal opinion of around 180 pages, he has familiarized himself with the subject matter like no other legal scholar has done. I wonder if Martin Schwab is related to Klaus Schwab. <laughs> Let's see him face off. Thus far. Under the rules of civil tort law, all those who have been harmed by these PCR tests uh, PCR test induced uh, induced lockdowns are entitled to receive full compensation for their losses. In particular, there is a duty to compensate that is a duty to pay damages for the loss of profits suffered by companies and self-employed persons as a result of the. How about the suicides caused by the lockdown, especially suicides by white men who have no future under the current lockdown? Who's um of houses and businesses are being foreclosed on them. How about them? The lockdown and other measures. In the meantime, however, the anti-corona measures have caused and continue to cause such devastating damage to the world's population's health and economy that the crimes committed by Messrs. Drosden, Wheeler and the WHO must be legally qualified as actual crimes against humanity. Genocide! As defined in Section 7 of the International Criminal Code. Okay, so maybe the Nuremberg Code, which the Jews created to falsely convict Nazis, can, can be used by us in our defense against the Jews, Holocaust against us, right? So the tables have turned if we will but use this information and share it and, and get our people knowledgeable about what's really going on. So, folks, uh, uh, I uh, heartily support Mr. Full Milk, which uh, Jeffrey says means whole milk, <laughs> auf Deutsch, whole milk, uh, lawyer whole milk, and uh, we could all use some whole milk and uh, instead of that uh, 2% and uh, uh, that other fake uh, what do they call it? Uh, uh, t totally fat-free milk, powdered milk, what have you. Yeah, whole milk. That's all I ever drink is whole milk. And I put that in my coffee. And that's about all the milk I use, uh, use is the, for my coffee. But folks, this is such a gigantic fraud. And it's great to see, especially in Germany, that all of these science that uh, Herr Fullmilk has been talking about uh, doctors, lawyers, etc., who are opposing the COVID fiasco and filing these lawsuits. Sue the pants off these guys, put them in the poorhouse, put them in jail, and then prosecute them for 
genocide. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to see. <laughs> Coconut milk is good too. <laughs> so, wow, folks, this is getting more and more bizarre by the moment. And the, the craziness is that people are so gullible and credulous that they will believe anything they watch on television or hear on mainstream media. They simply swallow it whole like the bait that it is. And that's all it is, folks. It's bait. Okay. So we mentioned earlier that uh, there's a gentleman, I don't know what country he was in, but um, so uh, the, the evidence is that uh, after getting the shot, he got both shots. He is radioactive. We warned you that this would happen that you would become a radiation machine uh, for COVID, for the mRNA uh, programming that Bill Gates has created to make you hot, to make your DNA hot. That is, both receive and transmit signals that can be read by a computer, a television set, your your cell phone, etc., etc., we warned you this is going to happen, and that video proves it. That's on BitChute. Let me just open the link here real quick because I'm going to post this on your uh, phone tomorrow. I was not feeling so good on, on Thursday. I had to take the day off. This Does is by, like, what, is that not, really what they say it is, like on TikTok? Yeah. Okay, here, this is a guy. AstraZeneca Bluetooth side effect. <laughs> that's, a, that's the uh, title here. AstraZeneca Bluetooth side effect, this guy who received the vax, and we know that people who've received the vaccine have magnetic injection sites. Not all of them. It, it, I think it's also the AstraZeneca, which seems to be the most effective in turning you into a zombie robot, and that's what it's designed to do. And I can imagine, and he said he was sick for a day or two, but he's recovered from that illness, but now he can't get rid of the fact that he's hot, that he's wired, that he's connected to the internet, <laughs> to the cloud. He's connected to the cloud permanently thanks to this injection. Folks, I told you this is getting more bizarre by the moment, okay? But we anticipated this because all these shows that we did leading up to these uh, personal revelations with regard to Bill Bates, six, uh, Gates, 666, etc. We've been making these predictions and they are coming true. We're getting personal anecdotal evidence that this is what's happening to people. Swollen tongue, we didn't predict, but we predicted all kinds of other side effects. All right, so this is a, a story about modern religion. And modern religion especially modern Christianity, which has become a business, folks, a 100% business. And the vast majority of Christian denominations are in this business. They don't teach real Christianity at all, but they are making fortunes by duping Christians into giving their hard-earned 
money as donations to these fraudsters called televangelists and megachurches. This story is about the megachurches and how the megachurches bilk people of their money. Okay, here we go. The making of a megachurch, this is from Australia, but it has a U.S. connection. And the earthly rules that keep it in financial heaven. Very good title by David Hardiker. Somewhere amid the Big Macs and hot apple pies and the hot uh, DNA that people are, are exhibiting after getting the shot, an extraordinary scene played out in a suburban McDonald's, which 20 years on still has ramifications for the men involved and the ever-expanding Hillsong Church. Hillsong Church is uh, apparently in, um, in Australia, and it's uh, headed by Pastor Brian Houston. Now, whether Houston is in fact an Australian or something else, we'll find out. It was here in the fast food fantasia of McDonald's Thornley in Sydney's north that two of the biggest names in the Australian Pentecostal movement met to dispense quick justice to a man who had been sexually abused as a child. The deal was done with the promise of $10,000. In exchange, the then 38-year-old victim, Brett Sengstock, signed a soiled McDonald's napkin. I hate to ask what was soiled with. Anyway, it meant Sengstock had come face-to-face with Frank Houston, the man who had abused him as an Assemblies of God pastor decades before. Okay, so he was abused by an Assemblies of God pastor who was the father of the current pastor, Brian Houston. Fronting the commission. Just how tawdry the whole episode was became apparent at Royal Commission hearings 15 years later. It took 15 years? I guess that's swift justice Australian style. By now, the head of the sprawling, glitzy Hillsong phenomenon agreed that his father promised the money in an attempt for forgiveness (laughs) and going to God with his heart right, but he never paid up. He never paid up. He promised ten grand. Where's my ten grand? I have to sue you. And fifteen years later, did he ever get the money? Let's find out. Did the victim ever get his ten grand? He also agreed that the traumatized Sengstock had been forced to chase up the ten thousand dollars promised at Maccas. I guess that's their term for McDonald's, Maccas. Two months later, according to Sengstock, because Frank Houston hadn't organized it. It took a further month for the check to arrive, and when it did, there was no correspondence attached. Oh, here's 10000 bucks. What for? Well, it must be the, the lawsuit that I filed. Well, maybe. I guess he didn't want to admit that he had done this. Anyway... Scott Morrison and the Seven Mountains Mandate, how the PM is changing Australia in God's name. So more funny business surrounding religion. It's a separate article. Headline here. Anyway, and who was the third man in the trio? Houston explained that was Nabi Saleh. Sounds like a an Arab. An old friend of the Houstons. Quote, he loved my dad, and I think he just... 
Maybe he loved his dad too much. And I think he just, all he was concerned about was looking after my father in terms of driving him there and being there to comfort him. Unquote. Houston told the commission. But there was and is more to the Nabi Saleh story. Saleh is a man of many hats. He was the multimillionaire owner of the Gloria Jeans coffee franchise. Sounds like the Australian version of Starbucks. And a Hillsong Church elder when the Sengstock deal was done. So, do you think maybe this multimillionaire could cough up the 10 grand and get this business over with? Huh? I guess not. The multimillionaire didn't have 10 grand to spare. According to Brian Houston, Saleh had also come with him as a family friend when Brian met lawyers prior to the McDonald's meeting. Saleh was aware of Frank Houston's crimes and was party to a dirty deal. Done dirt cheap. How deeply involved the Royal Commission, that's a, 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 a song by an Australian band, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. How deeply involved the Royal Commission doesn't say. Ultimately, it made no conclusion on Saleh's conduct because he's a multimillionaire and multimillionaires don't get asked tough questions. Saleh has not responded to questions Inc. INQ put through Hillsong. The multimillionaires don't have to answer questions posed by journalists, so-called. Saleh sits at the apex of Pentecostalism in Australia today. I went to one Pentecostal service in Chicago and I was so nauseated, number one, by the race mixing going on and by the antics of the people in the pews and on the stage. And I have to call it stage, not altar. This was a a bizarre, is, Pentecostalism has become a very bizarre holy roller, (laughs) holy roller, uh, and uh, shouting and and singing and squealing and uh, etc. And they call it Christianity. He is on the board of close to 20 Hillsong entities registered with the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission. Aha! Uh-huh. It's a charity scam! Posing as a religion. He is also a director of the Kenneth Copeland Ministries Eagle Mountain International Church Limited. Oh, my God. Kenneth Copeland, no less. Freemason, par excellence. The Queensland-based affiliate of the massively influential and hugely wealthy U.S. preacher, Kenneth Copeland. Brian Houston was ultimately censured by the Royal Commission for the way he dealt with the Sengstock case when he was the head of AOG in Australia. Houston, the commission concluded, had a conflict of interest which the AOG's National Committee failed to recognize. Hmm. Again, when there are multimillionaires involved, the government doesn't do anything. Uh, the, uh, the Zionists in America get away with murder, and all the commissions they, they hire do nothing. Even the uh, fentanyl case in which the four Jewish owners, the brothers, four Jewish brothers who owned the uh, the pharmaceutical company, 
they knew that up to 22,000 people had been killed by the fentanyl that they were legally prescribing. They were given a slap on the wrist, a few hundred thousand dollar fine, and that's it. So if you or I pretend to impersonate a doctor, we'd get life plus 30. Brian Houston was ultimately censured by the Royal Commission for the way he dealt with the Sengstadt case when he was the head of AOG in Australia. Houston, the commission concluded, had a conflict of interest, which the AOG's National Committee failed to recognize. The AOG's National Executive, of which Houston was the president, had failed to report the allegations to police, despite being required to by legislation. Okay, well, maybe they're giving him a break because he's a pastor? Maybe? (laughs) No, Christian pastors don't get these kind of breaks. Freemasons and Jews get these kind of breaks. Okay? That committee included Pastor Wayne Alcorn, the current head of the AOG successor organization, Australian Christian Churches. Hmm, I guess it's like the YMCA. It used to be the Young Men's Christian Association, but it's no longer limited to men and limited to young men, and it's no longer limited to Christians either. It's just an association. Alcorn shared the stage with Scott Morrison at the PM's recent Gold Coast Conference appearance. I think Scott Morrison is the Prime Minister of Australia. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, despite his attempts, Sengstock received no further compensation before or after the Royal Commission hearings. So... But he did get his ten grand, or didn't he? It says he received a check, but with no comment. There was no reason given for him getting the check. Did the check bounce? <laughs> this story doesn't mention that. Okay. So he received no further compensation before or after the Royal Commission hearings. Frank Houston died in 2004. Sengstock's case foundered on the grounds that AOG Australia was not legally responsible for Houston. Well, did he sue AOG or or Houston? Houston was the one who offered to pay the money. Sengstock is now ill with stage 4 cancer and did not answer Inc.'s request for a comment. Okay, well, this is called justice. Quick justice, folks. None of this, though, has stopped the ever-onward march of Hillsong. So Hillsong is the Australian version of, uh, I guess, televangelism that we have here in America. Public trust. I mean, talk about the corruption of Judeo-Christianity. It's no wonder that outsiders looking at what's called Christianity today uh, you know, just laugh or, or, or just nauseated by what's going on, and, and it's called Christianity. Of course, they don't know any better. <laughs> Copeland, Captain Witness posted a, a photograph of Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, he's demonic. Copeland is a demon in human form. There's, yeah, right. I'll, I'll wear a gas mask <laughs> in the presence of Kenneth Copeland. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, Jeffrey posts um, an article about pine tea, possible antidote for spike protein transmission. 
Uh, we did, I think we covered that subject last weekend or you know, possibly on Yahweh's Covenant People. Yeah, and that's a very good uh, uh, information. Uh, pine needle tea, you can make it yourself, but uh, I advise everybody to uh, go online and get some recipes. There are certain pine trees that don't work. And uh, Brother Bear has been drinking it, and sees, he said he's been having very vivid dreams at night. He hasn't been hallucinating in the daytime, so that's good. Uh, maybe his pineal gland is opening as well. That would also be good. But it's something that uh, people need to be aware of. You may have very vivid dreams. But I believe he said he had higher energy levels as well. So um, I should do an interview with uh and I haven't, I haven't had uh, any pine needle tea because I've just been so busy. But I will. I do plan on uh, making some in the very near future and see if I get very vivid dreams, <laughs> okay, uh, in addition to other health benefits. I don't know if you could call that a health benefit, vivid dreams. But uh, if it improves your sleep, that's a great, great benefit. So we, we see these... These crazy Christians, crazy Christians in the world today, all pretenders. It's amazing what has happened to Christianity in the last hundred years. Absolutely amazing. Since the Schofield Reference Bible in uh, 1907, it's gotten more and more bizarre. Of course, even before then, we had the, uh, you know, the uh, the various cults that uh, predicted the second coming of Christ in 1844. He didn't didn't show up, and a lot of people lost their faith over that, right? And then we have the rapture crowd, uh, 1870-something. They're still at it (laughs) today, right? So uh, uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. Crazy Christianity is what we've got, folks. Public trust, next heading in this article. Houston and Soleil are directors of Hillsong-related entities which receive millions of dollars in government support via tax exemptions. Hmm. So that's how these televangelists make their money. Well, But I guess that's why we have 501c3, is so that these so-called pastors can be corrupted and so they can exploit their flock. The Hillsong entities in Australia collectively received more than $70 million in donations, most of that in tithes, according to Hillsong's 2019 annual report. All of it's tax-free to Hillsong. All of this is perfectly above board. The Charities Law has carved out a special place for a class of religious charities. The ACNC does not have a similar to our 501c3. The ACNC does not have the power to remove a member of a charity's governing body. Okay, no matter how unchristian they are. A so-called basic religious charity generally does not need to submit financial reports. Just do as you are told and don't preach against homosexuality or the Jews. And you are approved. Nor does it need to comply with the ACNC's governance standards, which apply to secular charities, and are designed to help maintain public trust in charities by promoting fraudulent charities, right? This is sounding more like the medical establishment by the minute. 
These rules have enabled Hillsong to build a business model made in heaven. No, is made in hell. None of the organizations, these guys are not going to heaven, I guarantee you. None of the organization's entities are required to pay income tax. At the same time, Hillsong has access to vast amounts of unpaid labor. ACNC records show Hillsong Church Australia operates with the help of some 5,790 volunteers covering its various trading arms, which include a restaurant, Bella Burgers, a cafe, comma coffee, not Starbucks, and two education providers, Amplified Education Academy and Hillsong Night School. So this is major corporate stuff, folks. Corporate Christianity, megachurch style. Amazing. It's music productions which provide the trademark razzmatazz. <laughs> How about abracadabra? of a Hillsong gathering are almost entirely run by volunteers with more than 1,800 unpaid workers. But I bet they sell these tapes for big bucks. According to Alex Spencer, or for big donations, according to Alex Spencer, a former executive officer in the AOG movement and now a James Cook University PhD candidate investigating the public funding of religious institutions, there are over a dozen religious-specific tax exemptions, concessions, and exceptions, with many of them operating without any overarching public policy agenda regarding the public interest or public benefit. Yep, that's crazy Christianity. Final heading here, born in Australia, made in America. But Hillsong's masterstroke, Spencer says, has been to internationalize its operations such that Australia is now only one part of a giant entity largely domiciled in the United States, in in, uh, Kenneth Copeland's backyard, no doubt. They are now taking their broadcasts into 160 million homes around the world via the Hillsong Digital Production Arm. This is like uh, televangelism here in America. They have been way ahead of other movements on this, he said. Quote, it means that they are able to solicit donations and skirt Australia's complex, archaic, and clumsy fundraising laws, which are incredibly onerous with 76 different regulations at the state level, none of which are enforced. It also means that Hillsong has a slice of the estimated $1.2 trillion religious market in the U.S. Okay, didn't I say that Christianity has become a business? Absolute proof, folks. Christianity has become a business. Okay. So, uh, just thought uh, that, that, that piece for entertainment and for revelations about how corrupt modern Christianity has become. Utterly corrupt. So, Now, let's go to Theodor Herzl, the Jewish state. And, of course, this is a a Jewish website. This is CIE, Center for Israel Education. And I'll try to copy it without the HTTPS and see if this posts well. 
in the chat room because the Jews reveal much about their their operations because they they control everything and they know that very very few people actually pay any attention to what any Jew says so that they get away with just about anything and everything so this is the story of Theodor Herzl the founder of the Zionist movement and the Israeli state although some Jews have stated that the true founder of the Israeli state was none other than Adolf Hitler, <laughs> because if he hadn't driven the Jews out of Germany, they none of them would have wound up in Palestine. Okay? But there was the transfer agreement between the Nazis and the Zionists, by which the, the Nazis got 1,000 marks per Jew that got put on a boat to Palestine. That was a good deal for both, right? The, the Germans got rid of the Jews they didn't want, and the, uh, the Zionists got got the Jews they wanted, who would have not not would not have left Europe in a, any other way. So this is from the book "The Jewish Question" by Theodore Herzl, "The Jewish State," translated by Sylvie Davidor. Okay, and this was from the American Zionist Emergency Council, 1946. Updated, apparently. Okay. So there's a a photograph here of Theodore Herzl, who is a a typical Ashkenazi Jew. He doesn't have his arm in his jacket, so he's, he's not taking the Freemasonic pose. He just has his arms folded. And the article states, the origins of the Zionist movement are often considered synonymous with the life and times of Theodore Herzl, 1860-1904. Through Herzl, though Herzl died at a relatively young age, his ideas persevered. The Zionist movement did not collapse because its central figure died only seven years after the first Zionist Congress met. The dream to recreate a Jewish presence in the Holy Land... Well, the only presence the Jews had in Palestine was as Edomites, who Yahshua Messiah thoroughly condemned in all four Gospels and who, who Paul condemns, and the, uh, the other apostles condemned them as well, some more than others. But we know that the Edomite Sephardics in, in Scripture are, were the Pharisees. They were the leading Pharisees and they created what is today called Talmudic Judaism. None of these people were Israelites. So any presence the Jews ever had in Palestine was thanks to their Edomite blood, period. That's the only presence they had, the Sephardic Edomite blood. Okay, let's continue. Now, uh, and the main reason that the Zionist movement did not collapse is because it was funded by the Rothschilds. If you're being funded by billionaires, that means you're going to succeed. The Zionist movement did not collapse because its central figure died only seven years after the first Zionist Congress. The dream to recreate a Jewish presence in Palestine, Eretz Israel, or Palestine, had extraordinary depth and variety. 
Two decades before Herzl died, Jews were immigrating in small numbers to Palestine, building settlements and a new life distant from the vicious anti-Semitic outbursts that drove many to leave Eastern and Western Europe. And this was primarily in the East, in Poland and Russia, and it wasn't anti-Semitism because no, no Jews are Semites or Shemites, and it wasn't anti-Jewish either. Those people were simply reacting to Jewish intrigue and Jewish insults to the European people through their banking operations, etc. There's a reason why the Jews have been expelled from the European nation and city-states over 100 times historically. There's a reason for that, folks. And the reason is not anti-Semitism. The reason is because the Jews are a vicious brood of vipers who will exploit anybody until the exploitee gets sick and tired of, of seeing them, hearing them, getting cheated by them, and being murdered by them, as is happening to the entire world today. It's called COVID, folks. So, it wasn't anti-Semitism that drove the Jews out of Europe. It was their own shady dealings against the European people. And it was the reaction. And that's why the Jews refer to anti-communists and anti-Zionists as reactionaries. Because that's what we are doing. We're simply reacting to the presence of the parasite. And when the parasite gets under your skin and irritates the hell out of you, you have to get rid of the parasite. But this last parasitic infection, which is in fact global, and this is going to be the last parasitic infection that the Jews have on us, because when Yasha returns, he's getting rid of these vipers once and for all, that this parasitic infection causes people to react. It's a very healthy response to a parasitic infection, because that's what the Jews are. They are parasites, two-legged parasites. They don't work. They don't do anything constructive. All they do is search and destroy and cheat, rob, steal, and cheat any way they possibly can. So this is what we in identity know about the Jews, but the average Judeo-Christian has no comprehension that this is what the Jews really are. And that's why we're here, trying to alert people to the fact that the Jews are the antichrists of the world. They're the synagogue of Satan, as Yahshua Messiah clearly tells us that they are. Those who pretend to be Jews or Judahites and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Revelation 2.9 and 3.9. So anyway... Herzl was a catalyst for reconnecting Jews to their ancient homeland. Yeah, as Edomites. And it wasn't their homeland. It was the homeland of the tribe of Judah and the house of Judah. And before that, it was the homeland of all 12 tribes. But as the 12 tribes grew, they outgrew that area called the house of Judah or Palestine. And most of them migrated north. And then, uh, and then after the, the split of the two houses, they uh, migrated even further north across the Caucasus Mountains and became the European nations. 
That's how we understand biblical history, and that's the true understanding. So the Jews had nothing to do with writing the Bible. The Jews never were Israelites. The Jews don't believe in the laws of Moses, and they follow the reckoning through the mother, their posterity through the mother, and not through the father, which is the biblical reckoning. So, I mean, I could probably list 500 ways in which Judaism denies Mosaic law. Yet the average Christian, the, the normal, the so-called normal Christian, whatever normal means today, means crazy, is clueless, utterly clueless, that Judaism is totally anti-biblical, not just unbiblical, but anti-biblical. And they're clueless about these things. Uh, hold on, folks. Uh, a pop-up ad has obscured my screen. Uh, here we go. Okay. Okay. Born in 1860 in Hungary and schooled in Vienna, Herzl, and Herzl in English means little heart. Herzl is little heart in German. It had very little heart. <laughs> a cold-blooded heart at that. Herzl had neither a remarkably profound nor distant relationship to Judaism. In his youth, he read a great deal, enjoyed secular literature, wrote short stories, poetry, fables, comedy, and was completely absorbed in German literary culture. And that's uh, true of many secular Jews in Europe in the 1800s and 1900s. For the next decade, he wrote articles, plays, novels, traveled major cities of Europe, and in October 1891 became the Paris correspondent of the Viennese newspaper Neue Freie Presse, the New Free Press, which was considered the most distinguished newspaper in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Herzl's appointment reflected his competence as a writer and journalist. In Herzl's early life, he did not encounter much anti-Semitism or anti-Jewism. But by 1892, his paper carried an increasing number of articles about Jews. So Herzl himself was never a victim of anti-Jewism. Most Jews aren't. They're only treated to the reaction of when they rob, cheat, and steal Christians and others these days. They, they, They exploit Islam and other religions as well. These included articles about the persecution of Jews in Russia. Again, there was no such thing. There was no persecution of Jews in Russia. The Tsars created the pale of the settlement so that the Jews could have a country to to their own. I don't think they even paid taxes. So they could live among themselves and not parasitize off the Russian people. That's why the Pale of the Settlement was created, so that the Jews would not exploit the Russian Christians and others living in Russia. But this was not good enough for Jews. They wanted to be uh, university professors. They wanted to be Catholic priests, or in that case, Orthodox priests. They wanted to uh, practice money lending. They wanted to exploit, exploit the suckers of uh, you know the ignorant peasants. And by the way, the Russian czars were liberating the serfs and they were having their own farms. They were becoming capitalists according to the American system, 
just as we had farmers in America who own their own land and sell their, their produce to whoever. The czars were liberating the serfs from the, the old system where, where they actually were the property of the, the feudal lords. The czars were actually in the process of liberating the serfs from that situation and had completed that change about up to 50% or more when the Bolshevik Revolution started. All the serfs of Russia would have been liberated had the Bolshevik Revolution not intervened and enslaved the Russian people all over again to an even worse form of slavery than they had ever known. That's called communism, folks, or Bolshevism, Jewish Bolshevism. So Herzl had nothing to complain about as a Jew. He was prosperous. He was a world traveler. He was a, a correspondent to internationally read newspapers. What's to complain about? He is so persecuted. So these articles in the Neue uh, Freie Presse, the new free press, complained about anti, non-existent anti-Semitism, just as today they complain about non-existent COVID-19. Okay, and guess what? They're going to foist communism upon us yet again. It's called the global reset. You will have no property, and you will like it. So, these included articles about the persecution of Jews in Russia, the status of Jewish colonies evolving in Argentina with the support of the Jewish philanthropist Baron de Hirsch. There is no such thing as a Jewish philanthropist. They're all moguls and oligarchs. Baron de Hirsch and debates on the Jewish right to civic equality that were taking place in Berlin and Vienna. Now, why would a Christian country give Jews who are vocal antichrists and who have been known to corrupt and exploit every civilization they have ever infested, why would Christian nations give the Jews the right to vote when they know the Jews will corrupt their country? By the way, None of these Jews had anything to do with the creation of these countries. So why would you give someone who is utterly antagonistic to your culture the right to vote in your culture and the right to lend money in your culture? That sounds really odd. I'll bet the Jews don't permit that in Israel. Of course they don't. They're hypocrites. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Any Christian who's caught trying to proselytize a Jew in Israel is liable for uh, five years in prison and some sort of fine. Okay? So but you better watch your mouth when you find yourself in Israel. Of course, that's the last place you'll find me. But these Judeo-Christians who think the Jews are God's chosen will go there and find out the hard way that it is a very evil place. Very, very evil place. So, and they'll find out that they're the ones persecuted in Israel, not the Jews. So, 
So in August 1892, he wrote a long article on anti-Jewism, but offered no particular political solution. According to the 1906 edition of the Jewish Encyclopedia, he was least aware of his Zionist intellectual forerunners, Moses Hess, Leon Pinsker, Reuven Alkali, and Naam Serkin. Hence, he was wired to emerge as a prominent Zionist leader, let alone become the father of modern Zionismil, <laughs> a horribly mis- modern Zionism, a horribly misspelled word here. Modern, the father of modern Zionism. Now, wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. If he was one of the people who was least aware of his Zionist intellectual forerunners, why would he be wired to emerge as a prominent Zionist leader? He would be wired to be the opposite. So this makes no sense at all. But of course, the article is written by a Jew, so don't expect it to make sense. So he covered the Dreyfus trial as a correspondent for his paper. Alfred Dreyfus, an assimilated French Jewish military captain, of course, he was a coward and refused to fight. That's why he was prosecuted. And the, uh, the Rothschilds did everything they could to, uh, to overturn the conviction because that's what Jews do, rich Jews anyway. He was arrested in October 1894. That is Dreyfus. By the end of that year, he was tried, convicted, court-martialed, and incarcerated for allegedly passing information about French artillery capabilities to a German military attaché in Paris. Based on fragmentary evidence, it's always fragmentary if it's Jews on trial, and an absence of due process, there's never any due process for Jews. His case was reopened in 1899 at the insistence of the Rothschilds, right? Despite these legal points, Dreyfus was reconvicted and sentenced to another 10 years. Good for him. Finally, in 1906, he was exonerated and released from prison, a huge bribe being paid by the Rothschilds. There is a little doubt that the trial gave anti-Semitism stunning notice in what was believed to be an emancipating Europe. No, no one ever gets emancipated from Judaism because the parasitic invasion, once it takes root, goes on until it kills the host, or until it is expelled. Quote, in France, it took on the dimensions of a civil war and rent European opinion asunder. Yeah, the Jews for Dreyfus and the Goyim against Dreyfus. Plain and simple. Zionist historiography and popular Zionist history gives overwhelming weight to the catalytic role that the Dreyfus trail had in motivating Herzl to write his treatise, The Jewish state. I'll bet the Rothschilds approached him to write it. Okay. Alex Bein, in his classic biography of Herzl, claimed that Herzl possessed not the slightest evidence on which to base Dreyfus's innocence. <laughs> right? I would agree with that. Herzl wrote, quote, a Jew who, as an officer on the French general staff, has before him an honorable career, cannot commit such a crime. No? What about Kissinger? What about Marx? What about uh, Jew after Jew after Jew? Eich to Kike. 
Franklin Delano, the Jew, Jewish side of Roosevelt's family. Treason, 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 and more treason. That's all they're, that's all they're good for is treason. So, uh, so that was 1894. Five years later, Herzl wrote at the time of the case's reopening that, quote, it embodies more than a judicial error. It embodies the desire of the vast majority of the French to condemn a Jew and to condemn all Jews in this one Jew, unquote. Well, if the Jews would not make themselves so objectionable, so obnoxious, such a pain in the neck and other parts of the human anatomy, none of these things would ever happen. <laughs> Captain Witness quotes Yahshua Messiah regarding the Jews. Ye search sea and land to find one proselyte, and having found him, ye make him twice the son of hell that you are. Yes, that's all the Jews are good at. It's turning people into hellions, atheists, Satanists, etc., and communists. I don't know which of those is worse, but communists would be worse, and including Zionists. The Zionists are by far the worst because they're the most well-organized and best financed, but there would be no communism without Zionist financing. There just wouldn't be. So uh, atheism and uh, uh, Satanism are, are small change compared to those two movements. Okay, so here is how Herzl got involved. So he was obviously commissioned to write that book, and to because the, the Rothschilds had already decided to move Jews to Palestine, take Palestine away from the Arabs. It actually belonged to the uh, to the British because the British are actually descendants of the house and tribe of Judah. And the British mandate over Palestine was divinely inspired and divinely mandated. But the British simply gave it to the Jews after they decided to end the mandate because the Jews were assassinating too many British officials. The British got tired of it. Rather than kick the Jews out of Britain, which they had done twice before, and should have done again, they they left Palestine and turned it over to the, to the satanic Jews. That's how all that happened. Okay. And of course, the Balfour Declaration, as a result of World War I, was instrumental in creating the Jewish state. Wouldn't have been possible without the Balfour Declaration. So nothing but intrigue, bribery, murder, staging two world wars, getting European nations, white people, to annihilate each other in the process so that the Jews could have their holy land. Right? Uh, No, unholy land. And in fact, most people aren't aware that once they got the UN mandate, because the UN is a Rothschild operation, so is uh, the Israeli state, Once the Israeli state got the UN mandate to be created in 1945, it was a done deal. All of those two world wars and revolutions, uh, overthrow of Russia, overthrow of Germany, etc., etc., and actually the overthrow of the Ottoman Empire in the process, 
countless uh, genocides of white people, such as in Ukraine, the Armenian genocide by the Donmeh, who were Jewish. They were crypto-Jews pretending to be Ottoman Muslims. They murdered two million Christian Armenians posing as Turks. That is, the Jews were posing as Turks. Those were the Donmeh. And uh, their, their leader was a guy called Ataturk, but he was a Jew. <laughs> All right? So this is the thing, the good things that the Jews have done for Europe and the world. And you don't think there's anti-Jewism because of these things? Wouldn't you expect anti-Jewism as a result of these things? Of course you would. But then the Jews will simply deny that they ever did any of these things and pretend, oh, we're such a persecuted people. Won't you give us a place to live? So, in the Jewish state, Herzl called for Jews to organize themselves so they could gain a territory of their own to create institutions and forums to oversee Jewish immigration and settlement and eventually create a state. Under his short watch as president, he established the World Zionist Organization with Rothschild money, conducted at regular meetings of the Zionist Congresses, and helped found the Jewish National Fund and the Jewish Colonial Trust. The first Zionist Congress of some 200 delegates from all over Europe met in Basel, Switzerland in August 1897. Among the most salient entries in his diary are the passages from September 1897, quote, were I to sum up the Basel Congress in one word, which I shall guard against pronouncing publicly, it would be this. At Basel, I have founded a Jewish state. Was he motivated by the Bible? No indication that he was. So Zionism is nothing but a power grab, having little or nothing to do with the Bible. But in order to convince Christians that it's biblically based, they had to come up with the Zionist plan, which or Zionist Christianity, Christian Zionism. And of course, as we discussed last night on Yahweh's Covenant People, the, the oxymoron Judeo-Christianity. So they had to create these movements, these intellectual movements, which are evil in the extreme. And the Christians fell for it. They fell for Christian Zionism, and they fell for Judeo-Christianity. Without these two major thrusts, Zionism could not have succeeded. And the Israeli state would never have been founded. So they had to organize. This was all being planned for 100 years before the fact. Okay, a hundred years easily, a hundred years before the fact. First of all, they had to establish the the United Nations. Uh, their first attempt to do that was 1815, the Congress of Vienna, right after the Napoleonic Wars, and they kept on trying and finally succeeded with the United Nations. So 1815 to 1945, it took them 130 years to accomplish a one-world government. They don't give up easily. We have to hand him that. Okay? So, he created this, the Jewish state. The foundation of a state lies in the will of the people for a state. But the, the Jewish people didn't want to go there. 
he himself was happy being a German Jew. Until the Rothschilds paid him to be otherwise. The vast majority of Jews who wound up in Palestine did not want to leave Germany, or Europe for that matter. Most of them were happy exploiting Christians, which they were free to do because uh, Christian Russia had been defeated already. So yes, that's an absolutely true statement. The foundation of a state lies in the will of the people for a state. But the Jews didn't want a, a Jewish state. They were happy being parasites in Europe and in America. Territory is only the material basis. The state, even when it possesses territory, is always something abstract. Yeah, it's the soul of a people. And But the Jews don't have a soul. <laughs> they just have greed and, and power lust and bloodlust. That's all they have. At Basel, then, I created this abstract... Uh, if you ever saw the Knesset in action, you, you think our government is bad? <laughs> it's only bad because of the Jewish influence. But those people are... You know, they murder each other. That's how bad the, uh, the, the Jewish will for a state is. At Basel, then, I created this abstraction, which, as such, is invisible to the mass, vast majority of people, and invisible to the vast majority of Jews as well, and with minimal means. I gradually worked the people into the mood for a state and made them feel that they were its national assembly. Well, I don't think he, he accomplished that much. He organized a few conferences financed by the Rothschilds. There was no will of the Jewish people of Europe to go to Palestine. None. After the publication of the Jewish state and the conduct of the First Congress, Herzl became the maestro for political Zionism, its cheerleader, organizational guru, and diplomatic envoy to capitals and leaders of Europe and the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, he was a paid agent of the Rothschilds. He crystallized existing feelings from individuals who wanted to see the establishment of a Jewish state and bestowed upon Zionism working structural frameworks. Okay, all with not his own money, <laughs> but with Rothschild money. Herzl drove the movement by gaining notice amongst Jews and non-Jews alike of the Jewish desire for a state. There was no Jewish desire for a state. There was only a Zionist desire for a state. He gave Zionism an address and imbued it with charismatic, if not authoritarian, leadership. I don't think he was charismatic either. Herzl succeeded because there were hundreds, even thousands of Jews enamored with the notion of Jewish self-determination. No matter how many there were, they were a minority. The vast majority of Jews did not want to leave Europe. He showed that international diplomacy mattered even if securing support initially was rejected or not enthusiastically provided. In the two years before his death, Herzl met and introduced the idea of a Jewish home into numerous British officials, Arthur James Balfour, Lord Milner, Sir Edward Grey, and Lord George. Now you're talking about traitors to the British people. 
all of whom would be instrumental in supporting the 1917 Balfour Declaration's call for British support in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. You can't tell me that there wasn't a lot of bribery, arm-twisting, corruption, etc., to get the British government to get involved. And of course, it was never made public. So the British people had no idea that their government had committed them to a Jewish state. Why would a Christian nation, so-called Britain, endeavor to create a Jewish state, a, a, a state full of antichrists? Why would, why would Britain do such a thing? Because they were bribed. They had their arms twisted. They had their legs broken. That's how it was done, folks. That's how it was done. And the Jews even admit to these things. So, again, this is a Jewish article which rewrites history and it totally ignores all the behind-the-scenes skullduggery that Zionism and communism have engaged in in their history since they were both created by the same rabbi, Moses Hess, the mentor for Karl Marx, and also the mentor, although they don't say, they don't acknowledge it, had to be the mentor of Theodor Herzl as well, because Moses Hess created both Zionism and communism to divide the world into two opposing camps, and especially you know to get armies of white people to annihilate each other for one cause or the other. Really simple, but it took. You know, it took pervasive propaganda, reams, millions, if not trillions of dollars worth of propaganda and false accusations and, and, and blame throwing, especially against Nazi Germany for another world war for the Jews to accomplish these aims, none of which were actually wanted by the Jewish people thrust upon them, just as Zionism and the Jews have thrust themselves upon us for the last 2,000 years, without us wanting them to, to live with, with us. Nevertheless, they w- cannot live without us because they're parasites and we are the host. So the parasite must resort to any extreme measures possible to survive and attach itself to a host and suck our blood They have to be careful not to totally annihilate us because that's how they feed. They're vampires who feast on Christian blood. Not so much other people's blood. White Christian blood is what they have been feasting on since 1815 and even earlier because Jewish banking practices and exploitation has been going on actually for millennia, going all the way back to ancient Babylon, which was transmitted to uh, Palestine by these Babylonian Talmudic Jews, all right, thus influencing the Pharisees, and now we have Pharisaic Judaism, which is essentially the same as Babylonian Talmudism, okay? So, let's continue. But Herzl and his colleagues split on how best to achieve their objective. Some thought it more advisable to seek permission from a great power to support a Jewish homeland, which the Zionists did with Britain, 
while others thought it best to first undertake practical work of physically returning to Palestine. But the Jews weren't welcome. The Arabs didn't want them, just as any other, no, any Goyim nation doesn't want Jews. They, they understand that Jews are a pestilence. So how did the Jews go about migrating to Palestine? They simply bought it up. So the first invasion was economic. They simply bought it up. And then when they got the British mandate and the UN created Palestine, they simply started exterminating Palestinians. That's how the Jews operate, folks. That's how it's done. They are a mafia. Judaism is a mafia or mafia organization. It's not a religion. It is organized crime by Jewish bankers and Jewish rabbis. That's what it is. It's organized crime. It's the deadliest form of crime that has ever existed. And through their propaganda efforts, they have convinced the world that they are God's chosen people. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay. So actually they did both. They started settling in Palestine by buying up property and they proceeded to bribe the British government to create a quote-unquote Jewish homeland in Palestine. Herzl sought but failed to obtain a charter or sanction from Ottoman Sultan Abdul Hamid II to support Zionism. Yes, and uh, the Sultan said, well, Palestine belongs to the Arabs. I can't give uh, it. doesn't belong to me, so I can't give it to you. Those are uh, virtually his exact words. So how could he give the Jews something he doesn't own, <laughs> right? But there were an occupying force. But even the Sultan did not claim to own Palestine. They were just an occupying force. So the sultan was not able to be bribed. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. The Zionists couldn't bribe him. Anyway, meanwhile, Jews emigrated from Eastern Europe in droves, running from the so-called anti-Jewish outbursts in Russia, which were nothing more than the reaction against Jewish crimes against Russian humanity particularly the programs of the early 1900s. And the fact is, here, folks, the czars actually tried to prevent these pogroms. But Russia is such a huge empire, and the Jews such a pervasive pestilence, that there's no way that the Russian government could prevent these pogroms, simply could not. And these were simply reactions by the Russian peasantry against Jewish assaults on their persons, on their communities, on their livelihoods, on their money, by putting them all in debt and having to pay interest and impoverishing them and taking their property through foreclosure. That's what this article is calling anti-Semitic outbursts. Most of the Jews who emigrated from European areas moved to the West, primarily the United States, South America, and South Africa, unfortunately for us, because now they're doing the same thing here. 
At the turn of the century, only a handful of Jews immigrated to Palestine, some settling permanently, others testing in the settings only to realize the move there was too harsh, and thus, for many, their stay was short-lived. As I told you, there hardly any Jews wanted to go to Palestine. They just didn't want to go there. They're not farmers. They're not workers. They're not orchard keepers. They are thieves. But the, the Zionists hadn't arranged for them to thieve all that property away from the Palestinians. That They could buy it, but how many Jews could afford it? So as they freely admit here, Jews didn't want to go there, and the ones who did go there didn't stay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Russian pogroms against Jewish life and property reignited in places like Kishinev, Gomel, Belistok, and other places, numbering 660 small and large attacks between November 1 and November 7. Herzl renewed a Zionist drive to land permission from Russia or England to sanction a place for a Jewish homeland, but failed. The Pale of Settlement was not good enough for them. Prior to Herzl's sudden death at 43 in July 1904, disparate Zionist leaders eventually crystallized the view that both practical settlement and political seeking a charter or permission should move in parallel, one reinforcing the other. A young Zionist leader who would emerge as an important cog in the Jewish nation building over the next 40 years, Menachem Usishkin. Huh, I never heard of him. Menachem Usishkin said that the movement had to attain the charter permission from a great power or number of powers to build a national home from the top down and simultaneously through practical work from the bottom up in Eretz Israel. As it evolved as a movement, a variety of thinkers stamped their preferences on Zionist development. Nachman Sirkin and Ber Borachov sought to synthesize Zionism with socialism. There's communism again, folks. Each somewhat differently. From their debates emerged a socialist Zionist movement, that is, Jewish communism, which split into factions and then a socialist religious Zionist movement, Mizrahi. Again, the, the Jews fight amongst themselves. And this movement developed detractors. If they didn't have us to parasitize off of, they would just kill each other and we'd be done with them. But we provide the, the blood that they feast on. And so a religious Zionist movement, now wait a minute. Oh, a, a socialist Zionist religious movement, okay? Because Zionism has to be a, a Jewish religious movement, okay? But actually, so is communism. And both communism and Zionism were developed by one and the same rabbi, Moses Hess. And this movement developed detractors who thought it was either too religious or too socialist, <laughs> okay? This is... You can't please a Jew. By the early years of 1900, the Zionist movement was intellectually vibrant and ideologically differentiated, already sporting political parties that advocated a variety of ways to fulfill Zionist aspirations. Socialist, Marxist, secular, religious, working the land either without Arab labor, returning to work the land, which they never worked, in their existence, there was never any such thing as a Jewish farmer, 
or choosing to live and build Jewish cities by using Palestinian labor. Settling in rural areas and establishing communal or collective farms, kibbutzim, which the farms were worked by Palestinians, and then combinations evolved such as religious or secular kibbutzim. Within two decades of founding the WZO, World Zionist Organization, Jews were immigrating from Yemen as well as from Eastern and Western Europe. Now, I can understand Jews emigrating from Arabian territory, where they were especially unwelcome. They were not allowed to practice usury, and they were only allowed to do commercial activities in Muslim countries anyhow. So they weren't able to you know, get, get so thoroughly established in Muslim countries or even Arab countries as they were in Christian countries, because unfortunately, our leaders have always been eminently corruptible through their gambling, through their whoring around, etc., etc. And so the Mystery Babylon, which is uh, the great whore of Revelation, goes around bribing and whoring with Christian leaders until they finally cave in and allow the Jews to establish a private bank, calling it a national bank, and then it gets worse from there. That's, that's their modus operandi. It's repeated itself hundreds of times throughout history, and now it's finally reached its global culmination. It's absolutely global culmination, and we are the victims of it. So, continuing, so uh, within two decades of founding the World Zionist Organization, Yemen Jews, not European Jews, and a, a, a trickle from Europe. World Zionist uh, Organization offices were established in Jaffa, and other organizations were established to assist in Jewish immigration and settlement. The proliferation of how Zionism should be defined, followed, implemented, and supported emerged in the two decades after the Zionist organization's founding. In 1917, when the British issued the Balfour Declaration and sanctioned great power support for the establishment of a Jewish national home in Palestine, the two early strands of practical and political Zionism were blended. Now notice that this Jewish article does not say a word about all, all of this stuff being behind the scenes, influence peddling by Jewish bankers and threats by Jewish communists. doesn't say a word about that. It's as if, now, and of course, the general public is utterly unaware that this is going on. So this is conspiracy to the hilt. Absolute 100%, 100% conspiracy by rich Jews and communist Jews. Practical work of immigrating Zionists and returning to the land evolved along with the political support of a great power. The British sanctioned the developing of the Jewish national home and channeled Zionism's diverse outlooks into a collective undertaking to build a presence. No, the, the Zionists, the British didn't do any of that. They simply allowed the Jews to be Jews in Palestine. That's all they did. And the British paid a heavy price in terms of British officials being assassinated by these same Jews. 
Okay, the British sanctioned the developing a Jewish national home and channeled Zionism's diverse outlooks into collective undertaking. They didn't do any channeling. They just pre- provided the excuse that the Jews needed. In another 30 years, in 1947-1948, David Ben-Gurion, Israel's first prime minister, noted in Israel's Declaration of Independence in May 1948, that Herzl's vision of the Jewish state proclaimed the right of the Jewish people to, to national revival in their own country, which they never had. So this is a free admission that the Jews have been a people without a country for 1,900 years. Why couldn't they establish a country in 1,900 years? Because they're parasites, and parasites cannot feast on their own. So the Israeli state is nothing but a centralization of authority of Jewish parasitism because the Jews en masse will never move out of the countries that they are comfortable in. Just snug as a bug, uh, snug as a bug in a rug. The Jews will never leave America. They will never leave Britain. They will never leave those countries where they are very comfortable, well-fed parasites. Never. It will never happen. But they, uh, so, uh, and his own followers bumped along that path, stymied and sometimes slowed, but they plotted forward. Sometimes some thought only about their own needs and aspirations. Yeah, because Jews are selfish, greedy people. Others considering the Arab population in their midst. Well, they exploit the Arabs. They exploit the Palestinians. They use them for their labor, pretending that they give them equal rights. They, nothing of the kind. They, the Palestinians are second-class citizens in Israel. They do not have full rights, which they demand everywhere they go. Right? The Jews demand full and equal rights, total citizenship in whatever country they have ever infested. But they will never give that to anybody else. Yes, they are termites as well. Because <laughs> they eat at the foundation of Western countries, especially white Christian countries. So, yeah, and Jewish criminality goes unpunished. And I see he's put a link in here. Esau today, communism is Judaism. Well said. Esau.today, that's a website I haven't uh, heard of that looks really good. Let me go back to this article and see if the rest of this is worth reading. (laughs) It says, no one can deny the gravity of the situation of the Jews. Wherever they live in perceptible numbers, they are more or less persecuted. No, they're not. They are reacted to reacted against because of their perfidious criminal nature. Their equality before the law, granted by statute, has become practically a dead letter. Well, yeah, it's been granted in country after country after country to those countries' detriment. They have destroyed any country that has given them equal rights. They are debarred from filling even moderately high positions or they were, not anymore. 
either in the army or in any public or private capacity. And attempts made to thrust them out of business also don't buy from Jews. Well, that none of this is true anymore. I don't think there's a country in the world that bans Jews from anything, except Muslim countries. The Muslim countries grant Jews the right to trade and engage in commerce, but they don't allow them to become public officials. Now, the Ottoman Empire made a huge mistake in allowing the Donme, the uh, crypto-Jews, who pretended to be Turks, who, who pretended to be Muslims, to gain power. Because what those crypto-Jews did was they overthrew the Ottoman Empire. So I don't think there's ever a country that Jews have infested that hasn't been destroyed by them, either indirectly behind, through behind-the-scenes revolution or by attack, by organizing attack from another country. So any nation that does business with the Jews will be destroyed by them, and any country that refuses to do business with the Jews, such as Saddam Hussein's Iraq, will be destroyed by them for refusing to do business with the Jews. So you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Yes, these are God's chosen people. Attacks in parliaments, in assemblies, in the press, in the pulpit, in the street, on journeys, for example. But they never, this article doesn't mention anything about behind-the-scenes bribery, arm-twisting, murder, etc., that they used in order to accomplish these schemes. This article gives the impression that all this was done above board in public meetings. No, none of this is public. Absolutely none of this was public. These are always private meetings with government officials of these particular countries. And there was very little publicity about these things. If there was publicity, it was after the fact. If you saw the movie Lawrence of Arabia, at the very end of the movie, Lawrence is very upset that his government turned Palestine over to the Jews after he he spent all that time fighting on the Arab side against the Turks. Then his government simply gave the Palestinian territory to the Jews. And he was actually murdered because he stopped, he never stopped protesting against that stab in the back. So the Jews stabbed Germany in the back and Turkey in the back with the Balfour Declaration. Because the Balfour Declaration got the American army, the American military under Woodrow Wilson to come in on the British side against Germany. So, that one act, the Balfour Declaration, stabbed the German people in the back and stabbed the Ottoman uh, Muslims in the back, the Turks in the back, and also the Palestinians. Forgot about them. So three, three nations, three groups of people were stabbed in the back by the Balfour Declaration. Nothing made public about this until after the fact. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not negotiation. This is conspiracy. That's what it is. Okay? 
So anyway, this article goes on to reiterate all these false claims uh, about persecution of Jews. And so I'm going to click on this link of Esau.today. Communism is Judaism. That looks really good with about 10 minutes left. Okay, very good quote at the front page. Some may call it communism, but I call it what it is, Judaism. Rabbi Stephen Wise, the American Bulletin, May 15th, 1935. Yes, communism is Judaism for the masses, as I have been known to say. Communism is Judaism for the masses. The title of this article is Communism is Judaism. Quotes proving communism is Judaism. Quote, the communist soul is the soul of Judaism. Hence, it follows that just as in the Russian Revolution, the triumph of communism was the triumph of Judaism. So also in the triumph of fascism will triumph Judaism. So I'm not sure if they mean to try the triumph over fascism or with fascism. <laughs> A program for the Jews and humanity, Rabbi Harry Watan, or Watton, W-A-T-O-N, pages 143 and 144. Robert Wilton, a longtime Russian news correspondent for the London Times, said in his book, The Last Days of the Romanovs, quote, Out of 556 important functionaries of the Bolshevik state, there were, in 1918 to 1919, 17 Russians, 457 Jews, and 82 others. Unquote. Quotation by Solzhenitsyn. Without Jews, there would never have been Bolshevism, for a Jew is nothing more insulting than the truth. <laughs> the bloodthirsty Jewish terrorists have murdered 66 million in Russia from 1918 to 1957. And, of course, they murdered even more after that. You must understand, again, from Solzhenitsyn, the leading Bolsheviks who took over Russia were not Russians. They hated Russians. They hated Christians. Driven by ethnic hatred, they tortured and slaughtered millions of Russians without a shred of human remorse. The October Revolution was not what you call in America the Russian Revolution. It was an invasion and conquest over the Russian people. More of my countrymen suffered horrific crimes at their bloodstained hands, that is the Jewish bloodstained hands, than any people or nation ever suffered in the entirety of human history. And that is correct. Although the Jews are doing a a bang-up job of uh, exterminating the, virtually the entire human race with COVID. They're going to outdo themselves if they succeed at this. So far, they are succeeding somewhat, but the reports of millions of Americans getting the jab, I think, are exaggerated. That's just uh, pandering by the mass media trying to get people to take the jab by claiming it's popular. Everybody else is doing it, so why not you? It was an invasion and conquest over the Russian people. It cannot be understated. Bolshevism was the greatest human slaughter of all time. The fact that most of the world is ignorant of this reality is proof that the global media itself is in the hands of the perpetrators. 
Again, that's Alexander Solzhenitsyn. A lot of the uh, quotations are from Jewish lips. This is from the American Hebrew, September 10, 1920. The Bolshevist revolution in Russia was the work of Jewish brains, of Jewish dissatisfaction, of Jewish planning, whose goal is to create a new order in the world. What was performed in so excellent a way in Russia, oh, that's excellent, really, 66 million people butchered, thanks to the Jewish brains and because of Jewish dissatisfaction and by Jewish planning, shall also, through the same Jewish mental and physical forces, become a reality all over the world. Yes, the Jew United Nations and Jew, Jew, uh, COVID, <laughs> COVID-19. 1920 and 21, I should say 20, 2019, it's just the dates are reversed, 2019, 2020, and 2021. In 1935, the most famous rabbi in America, Rabbi Stephen Wise, friend of President Roosevelt, boasted, some call it Marxism, I call it Judaism. First of all, we have to understand what communism is. I mean, to me, real communism, the Soviet communism, is basically a mask for Bolshevism, which is a mask for Judaism. Bobby Fischer, world-renowned chess player, part Jewish even. The following is from an article written by Sir Winston Churchill that was published in the Illustrated Sunday Morning Herald on February 8, 1920. This was before he became compromised by the Jews' uh, because he was an alcoholic and a gambler. A particular Jew paid his gambling debts and kept him uh, liquored up so he could be a really good prime minister. Anyway, this is what he said before he became a, a shill or a puppet of the Jews. This movement among the Jews is not new. From the days of Spartacus Weishaupt, wow, he knew about the Illuminati. From the days of Spartacus Weishaupt to those of Karl Marx and down to Trotsky, Bela Kuhn, Rosa Luxemburg, and Emma Goldman, this worldwide conspiracy for the overthrow of civilization and for the reconstitution of society on the basis of arrested development, yes, and that's what communism is, is arrested development, there's no progress unless you call butchering people progress, of envious malevolence and impossible equality has been steadily growing. And that's called liberalism too, impossible equality. And, and race mixing. It played as a modern writer, Mrs. Webster, has so ably shown uh, a definitely recognizable part in the tragedy of the French Revolution. That was Nesta Webster. So in his early days, Winston Churchill was a conspiratologist. How about it, folks? How about it? It has been the mainspring of every subversive movement during the 19th century, and now at last this band of extraordinary personalities from the underworld of the great cities of Europe and America have gripped the Russian people by the hair of their heads and have become practically the undisputed masters of that enormous empire. And it lasted 70 years, folks. 70 years before the oligarchs were thrown out. But that's only because they had a bigger fish to fry, namely the planet. 
and it's called the United Nations. There is no need to exaggerate the part played in the creation of Bolshevism and in the actual bringing about of the Russian Revolution. By these international and for the most part atheistical Jews, it is certainly a very great one. It probably outweighs all others. No doubt that it does. It is Jewish brains, Jewish planning, etc. With the notable exception of Lenin, the majority of the leading figures are Jews. And we found out since this was written that Lenin also was a Jew. Moreover, the principal inspiration and driving power comes from the Jewish leaders. Thus, Chicharin, a pure Russian, is eclipsed by his nominal subordinate Litvinov. And the influence of Russians like Bukharin and Lunacharsky cannot be compared with the power of Trotsky or of Zinoviev, the dictator of the Red Citadel, Petrograd, or of Krasin or Radek, all Jews. In the Soviet, so it was common knowledge, folks, in those days that the Bolshevik Revolution was a Jewish coup against Russia. It was common knowledge in those days, but because of their vast control of media, libraries, education, etc., nobody knows this anymore. And everybody blames everything on Nazis instead of Bolsheviks. In the Soviet institutions, the predominance of Jews is even more astonishing. And the prominent, if not indeed the principal part in the system of terrorism applied by the Extraordinary Commissions for Combating Counter-Revolution, the Cheka, has been taken by Jews, and in some notable cases by Jewesses. The same evil prominence was obtained by Jews in the brief period of terror, during which Bela Kuhn ruled in Hungary. The same phenomenon has been presented in Germany, especially in Bavaria, so far as this madness has been allowed to prey upon the temporary prostration of the German people, and that by Rosa Luxemburg. Although in all these countries there are many non-Jews every whit as bad as the worst of the Jewish revolutionaries, the part played by the latter in proportion to their numbers in the population is astonishing. Yes, and to think that Winston Churchill became one of them. Quote, the Russian, the Russian Revolution is a Jewish revolution. The Maccabean, New York, November 1905. Jewry is the mother of Marxism. Le droit de vivre, May 12, 1936. Judaism is Marxism, communism. Harry Watton, Program for the Jews. Quote, the communist soul is the soul of Judaism. Again, Harry Watton. We Jews cannot be called upon to denounce communism. The American Hebrew, February 3rd, 1939. No, they can't, and they don't. The picture which the Soviet Union presents today is one that should be, bring rejoicing to world Jewry. The Youngstown Jewish Times, September 18, 1936. And these words uh, in full knowledge that the Jews were slaughtering Christian Russia. Absolutely slaughtering Christian Russia. And one more. It would be absurd to deny the intensity of the Jewish participation in the Russian revolutionary movement. Unquote. Leon Denon in the Menorah Journal, New York, July, September 1932. So it was common knowledge in the early part of the 20th century that communism is Jewish. 
it's so it's so obvious that the Jews don't even bother to deny it. They simply ignore the subject. And when one of us brings it up with these quotations, <laughs> right, they try to ignore it even more. That's why they have to take over the mass media of any country they infest. Folks, this is the reality we live in. The Christian world needs to rise up against these people. And we will. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.